this is the good news of Christ. May I speak in the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So I told you it was an epic reading. Um, but it's in the bigger context of John chapter 6. And uh, I, I won't ask you um, to put your hand up, but you probably know what happens at the start of John chapter 6 because you've heard it before. Um, Jesus fed uh, 5,000 or more people with five loaves and two fish. Just raise a hand if you've heard of that miracle. Great. Um, just checking. Uh, so that's what's happened. He then goes across the lake um, and, uh, um, with the disciples in the evening, and the crowd follow him to the other side of the lake to find some more food. They're hungry. So John 6.35, Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. So if you need them, there's Bibles in the pews, and we are John 6, uh, 35 to 59. I am going to be referring to the Bibles. Um, Verse 41 says, the Jews there began to grumble about him. Now, all the way through um, the the preceding part of the chapter, the people are referred to as the people, or the crowd, or they. They're not identified as the Jews. And uh, the reason I think it comes up at this point is because uh, the Jews specifically didn't like it that that Jesus said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And so they grumbled. God's people are often reported to be grumbling. In the Old Testament, they grumbled in the wilderness about the water they had to drink, about their lack of bread, about their lack of water, about the hardships in the desert. I know Roxanne spoke a few weeks ago about grumbling, so nobody here uh, grumbles because we dealt with that about six weeks ago, right? Um, I wonder if you uh, have ever met anyone in a church that's grumbled. I'm not going to get you to shout the answer out there. Uh, But the grumbling in the Old Testament is a rejection of God. Then uh, the grumbling here is a rejection of Jesus. The issue seems to be specifically around the incarnation. That is that Jesus is the bread that came down from heaven to earth... It's not the bread that they're grumbling about. It's the down-to-earth bit. It's the claim that Jesus makes to have come down from heaven. And one of the issues they point out is that they know Jesus. They know his mom and dad. Verse 42, they say, Is this not Jesus, son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Now, we know from the prologue of John's gospel that Jesus is the word, the logos, the word made flesh. We know that Joseph stepped into the role of being the earthly father. Uh, But they didn't know that, so we can't blame them for answering the question. How can he now say, I came down from heaven when he's Joseph's son? Jesus tells them to stop grumbling. But when Jesus says stop grumbling, he doesn't do it in the same way that we might say stop grumbling. 
I wonder if you have ever tried to stop somebody grumbling. Maybe you have a husband. Maybe you have a wife. Maybe you have a child or a parent. Maybe you work with the wonderful public and customer service. If you've ever tried to stop someone grumbling, you probably haven't done it in the way that Jesus did. When we hear someone grumbling, uh, maybe we're tempted to say some short-tempered words back. Anyone admit to doing that? Maybe some short-tempered words back. Maybe a passive-aggressive comment. Uh, Sometimes we're quite good at that. Uh, Or maybe a straight-out, can you just shut up and stop moaning? But that is not what Jesus says. He doesn't seem phased by this grumbling at all. It's like water off a a duck's back. And his words in response encourage them to have faith. So the antidote to the grumbling is faith. The antidote to their grumbling is faith. Jesus reminds them that he is the way to eternal life. Verse 43, I will raise them up on the last day. And that eternal life starts now as we know Jesus. He quotes the prophets, um, Isaiah, saying, everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. In other words, people listen to the Father by listening to the Son. They learn from the Father by learning from the Son. And this is important because Jesus is the only one who has seen the Father. Verse 46, no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. So it is belief in Jesus that brings eternal life. When we let that sink in, it becomes hard to grumble. If we know that we have eternal life with Jesus that starts now, how can we grumble about that? But the reality is easy to forget. We may be assured of our salvation when we're inside the church building. When we taste the coffee and the treats after the service, it's like a a glimpse of heaven here on earth. The kingdom is in our midst. But in a few moments after the service, we get behind the wheels of our car and have the joyous experience of Judney Trunk Road. And it's like the faith drains out of our fingertips and we start to grumble again. Perhaps we grumble about the way other people drive. Actually, being a pastor, I've worked on this a lot and I don't grumble about the way other people drive much. And, and just when you think, well, that's all right for you, David. That's all right for you, being holier than thou. I'll be honest and say I've just switched my grumbling from the driver to the people that designed the roads. And so I'll grumble as I drive along, my children will attest to this, about the road layouts, the merged lanes in the wrong place, the speed limits that are mostly wrong, the traffic signals that always are wrong and in the wrong place and take too long, you know. But it may not be driving for you. Maybe it's the self-service checkout at the grocery store. Maybe it's um, the number of commercials when you're trying to watch the game on television and they keep having the same commercials again and you get frustrated at that. Or maybe it's something bigger. Maybe it's a health condition or finances or family members 
all sorts of reasons that might draw us to grumble. The cares of the world have a habit of obstructing our views of eternity. The cares of the world can have a habit of obstructing our views of eternity. So what can we do? Well, um, maybe there's ways to encourage us in our faith. Maybe it's listening to Christian music on the radio, uh, Praise 106.5, uh, if you don't want to download Spotify and you want a free version, there's a radio station, um, or some Christian music that kind of inspires you with, uh, if you love old hymns, then listen to hymns. Uh, if you are on social media, um, then is your Instagram feed, does it have something from, um, uh, yeah, some, from church? Maybe you're following St. George's, maybe other ministries you can see that will, will give you some words of encouragement, some Bible verses. Maybe it's reading the Bible every day. And if you can't sit down and read for half an hour, then maybe it's just finding a verse uh, or two to think about when you have your morning cup of tea or coffee. Finding ways to go from grumbling to faith. I think our default as people, if we're not careful, is to fall into grumbling. What we see in Jesus is he says the antidote to grumbling is faith. So he comes from heaven to earth. Um, I am the bread of life, says Jesus. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And the beauty of bread, it's one of the most common foods out there. Uh, even if uh, you have dietary needs that mean you can't eat like a, a, a loaf of white bread or something, uh, there's probably some kind of gluten-free bread or dairy-free bread or whatever that you will eat. Uh, bread is likely to feature on your plate at some time. And it's a reminder for us each time we eat that true life is found in Jesus. When the Bible uses the word to describe bread, um, the word living to describe bread, as in living bread, I have this image of, of a, a really great, freshly um, baked loaf of bread as contrasted to the bread that sat on the counter for a few days. I was in a grocery store um, a couple of weeks ago, and I went to buy um, some, some buns, um, and, uh, and they've got the bits, you know, with the plastic lids, and you pull them out with the tongs. And... Um, I should have known when I touched the bread with the tongs that they were rock solid. They were the last three in the store, but I bought them anyway, um, and anyway, they were, they were hard as rocks. That is not the image of living bread uh, that I think um, Jesus would have us think of. Eating the bread is a metaphor um, when Jesus says you need to eat my flesh, it is a metaphor. We use metaphors about eating all the time. Uh, we devour books, don't we? We drink in a lecture. We may chew over a matter. Uh, maybe you've heard of a grandmother who's, who would say, I would eat up my own grandchildren. They don't mean it literally. If they do, there's a flyer at the back of church with a number that you need to call now. Some of you have done that training course. 
we use eating flesh as a metaphor. Jesus is the bread of life, the bread that gives life. The bread that came down from heaven was incarnate, was made flesh. And we need to remember the good news of Jesus. I once heard um, an Anglican bishop, uh, Stephen Cottrell, who's now the Archbishop of York, speaking about um, evangelism. And he said, I realize that I need to be re-evangelized about once every three months. I need to be reminded of the good news of Jesus in a significant way, other than just kind of a Sunday service, he said. And I think he makes a good point. We need to be reminded of the good news of Jesus Christ. Even as we come to church and sing our songs, in the words of verse 51, he says, I am the living bread who came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And at this point in the passage, it shifts from it being about uh, God, the Father, giving the bread. It's Jesus himself. It's his flesh. Um, and it's worth noting um, for those of you that are interested, the word in the Greek that's used here is sarx, uh, which is the word for flesh, which is different to the word that's translated body in the scriptures about Holy Communion, because there can be some confusion around this, and I will get to that in a minute. Uh, this bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. We can make statements like that, and as Christians become quite comfortable with the language of eating flesh. And yet every time we get a visitor to church who hasn't been around church before, uh, and we get to communion and we talk about eating flesh and drinking blood, it does sound a bit weird. It does sound a bit crazy. You're all kind of going, no, it doesn't, because you're used to it. But actually, if you're hearing that for the first time, it does sound strange. So we see it as though a metaphoric picture, an image of salvation, of Jesus being the one who sustains life, whose death on the cross in real flesh and blood will give life for the whole world. Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, we're to say, give us today our daily bread. And as we pray that prayer, we remember Jesus is the bread of life. So how about us? Do we need to repent and return to the Lord again? So the third section, we go from death to life. We go from grumbling to faith. Jesus comes from heaven to earth to take us from death to life. So verse 52, the Jews who Jesus was speaking to began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us flesh to eat? Now, it sounds like there were different opinions. There's a first. There were different opinions uh, among the Jewish people as to what they were hearing. Some of them wanted to accept what he said, even if they didn't fully understand it with others thinking it was ridiculous or finding it repulsive, the idea of eating human flesh. 
it's like Jesus sees them arguing and pushes the analogy a bit further. Jesus says to them, verse 53, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Uh, you may know this already, um, but when you read in the Bible, it says something like, very truly I tell you. Uh, it means there's about to be a really serious statement. Uh, in the King James, it says, verily, verily, I say unto thee, if you wonder what that is. Um, and I won't tell you in the Greek, because I've forgotten it, but it's, anyway. Um, but it comes up a few times, and it's like, okay, get ready, I'm about to say something really important now. Listen carefully. And so what Jesus does when he says, listen carefully, he adds to the concept of eating flesh, the bread, he adds drinking blood. If his hearers were repulsed already at the idea of eating flesh, it just escalated to a whole new level. Leviticus 17 forbids the drinking of blood, and they would know that. And so here we have Jesus saying, unless you take part, he's talking to Jews, unless you take part in this, um, my words, repulsive act, which will break Old Testament law, unless you do that, you will not inherit eternal life with God the Father. Imagine hearing that as a Jewish person. How what would be going through your mind. Unless you do this repulsive thing which breaks all the laws, you don't get to inherit eternal life. In verse 54, the negative tone switches to a positive and Jesus says, but if you do do this, you will inherit eternal life. So, it does cause some confusion I already alluded to. My flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. It seems like this is about communion. We have communion frequently in our church, and so when we hear any talk of bread and wine, flesh and blood, we think about communion, many of us. Um, but in the context of the entirety of the chapter, I don't think this is about, uh, not just me, the commentators would say this too, this isn't about communion. This is um, about the cross. So in verse 40, it says we're to look to Jesus and believe. And by verse 55, he then says, my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. One commentator puts it like this, when the metaphor is unpacked, it means that Jesus is the source of true satisfaction. Belief in him who gave his life for the world is the only way to satisfy human hunger and thirst for God. Now, in some churches in the Middle Ages, including the Roman Catholic Church, and this, this fed into the Anglican Church um, and others, these are the verses which the idea of transubstantiation came from. Uh, that is the belief that in communion, the bread, we'll have some in a bit, will actually become Christ's literal body and the wine becomes his literal blood. Uh, that was a middle age thing. Not middle age as in when you're in your 40s or 50s. I mean, middle ages as in like the 1500s. 14, I think it started in the 1300s. But uh, 
1300s, 1400s. So then the Reformation came along, and the shift was made away from this theology to view John 6 as speaking about belief in Jesus and not about communion itself. The emphasis shifted towards an understanding that in communion, as we say, we remember Christ's sacrifice made once for all upon the cross. We are not sacrificing Christ again. This was such a big issue for Thomas Cranmer and the English reformers uh, that in the 39 Articles of Religion, uh, which I'm sure you've all read, um, it's in the Book of Common Prayer, uh, the 39 Articles of Religion uh, says this, the body of Christ is given, taken, and eaten in the supper only after a heaven, heavenly and spiritual manner. And the means whereby the body of Christ is received and eaten in the supper is faith. So yes, it's confusing for us as Christians hearing about Jesus talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood and not making the association with the Lord's Supper, with communion. But taking a whole step back, this is to say it's about the identity of Christ. An assurance of eternal life that begins now as we believe and trust in Jesus. As complicated as we make the Christian faith, as deep as we can dive into theology, we always come back to the start. Jesus loves me. This I know because the Bible told me so. The Sunday school answer of Jesus being the answer for everything has some truth in it. When you believe in Jesus, he says, Jesus says, whoever, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. That word uh, remain from the Greek meno means um, abide or stay. And we see it elsewhere in John's gospel. We are to stay in Jesus. We are to remain in him so that he stays in us. We know it from the vine and the branches. Just as the living father sent me, verse 57, I live because of the father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Life-giving bread, Jesus takes us from death to life. Bread that doesn't run out. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's a picture of eternity. Jesus also says in John 10, 10, um, I've come that you might have life and life in all its fullness. And so we believe the eternal life of Jesus, the kingdom, is here and now. And it's also to come, but it's now. And so when we share communion later in the service, we will remember Jesus. But we also remember Jesus every single time we eat some bread or drink some wine or bagels and grape juice, it doesn't matter. When we eat and drink, we remember Jesus.
um, one of the downsides of being um, ordained and preaching is that I can never switch off. And I'm always on the lookout, and I'm sure any pastor or priest will tell you this, I'm always on the lookout for illustrations to put in my sermons. Um, and, uh, and, and there was one time when, um, so, so particularly because of doing communion, every time I encounter a piece of bread, I don't know what you think about when you encounter a piece of bread. You might think, where's the olive oil or where's the butter? I don't know. I'm thinking, um, uh, not as a sermon illustration, but more like, I wonder what that would be like for communion. Um, do, do, would, I don't suppose anyone else does that. It's probably just a me thing. Um, but the, the, the funniest time was when, um, I mean, that's actually how we got the communion bread we're using now. I, I got it from, um, from a place where we get some of our food, and I uh, thought, oh, this would do. Uh, but, you know, if I go for a, a, an Indian curry and I'm tearing the naan bread going, actually, you could do communion with naan bread. That would be quite nice, um, etc. But I was flying uh, on a 747 to London, and I was uh, in the back of the plane in the economy class. Um, so, uh, and, uh, and I don't know, if, if you fly up the front, they give you a nice china plate and a nice freshly baked roll. In the back, you get in a plastic sealed bag, the smallest bread roll that you've ever seen. Uh, you know the ones I mean. Um, and you kind of look at it and think, shall I even open it and see if it's worth eating, or will it be like the one I found in the grocery store down there that was hard as a rock? But there was this one time when I pulled the thing out and I broke the bread in half, and <laughs> I went, ooh, that would be good for communion. And I was 37,000 feet um, in the air somewhere above um, above northern Canada. Um, every time we eat bread, we can remember that Jesus is the bread of life. That we're to stay close to Jesus, to feed on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Jesus redirects them from grumbling to faith. How can we find ways to focus on faith. And as we focus on faith, let that quieten our grumbling. Jesus is the bread of heaven come to earth. Do we need to repent and return to the Lord? To take a moment to gaze upon the cross and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Thank you that you love me. Please forgive me. Jesus takes us from death to life. When we feed on Jesus, we live forever. So feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Feed on his word, the Bible that gives life. As we come to communion in a few moments, draw near with faith. Receive the body of our Lord Jesus Christ that is given for you and his blood that is shed for you. Eat and drink in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. To a world that is spiritually hungry, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. To people who are lonely, Jesus invites us to remain in him. To people afraid of dying, Jesus offers eternal life that starts now. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this image of the bread of life. Help us to look to you, to believe 
in Jesus' name. Amen.